of sisters and brothers. Amen? All right. I just want to hear everybody say, we love you, Nicole. We love you, you just remember that at the end of this message. I just want to get that out up front. Okay, um, so let's just pray before we get started today. I know there's a lot of stuff. I think it, we could have gone straight from worship to the message. It was as if my message was written from start to finish today in the order of this service. And there were only a handful that knew what I was going to be preaching about based on communion. When David said there's going to be a chance to just commune with the Lord, he's right because he's an usher, so he knows it. Um, and Ashley knew because she was leading worship today, but um, God's just leading the path for us today. So let's pray. Father, I just ask you, Lord God, that you would anoint me, Father, today. Father, that the words that I speak, Father, would draw men unto you. Father, I ask, Lord, that as I speak, let it be life-changing, yoke-breaking. Father, and that men and women's hearts would hear what I have to say today. And, Father, that it would not just only hear, but, Father, it would change the way they view things and begin to change their habits and their behavior in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so today I want to talk about something that I feel in the church has gotten a bad name. I want to talk about repentance. I think sometimes that the church thinks of repentance. I said repent. And I don't think when Jesus came out in his ministry in the book of Matthew that he was saying repent like that. I think he was saying repent. Repent with this urgency inside of him that said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Draw close to the Lord and forsake your own ways, for he knows more than you know. So today I want us to take off these glasses that sees repent in this negative connotation and see it as repentance, this beautiful thing where God's mercy and his grace are in action for you. You see? So I want us to look at it different. Can you do that with me today? All right, all right. Sometimes we've got to get out of the way we've been thinking to see it. Living a life of repentance means that we're living a life of obedience. Because the things we're repenting of are the things we've been doing wrong. There have been disobedient things, right? It, it's funny that Dave would mention that Dad was speaking a couple weeks to us about fasting. It's literally right in my notes. Mention pastor's message. Because two weeks ago, he asked us, to go on a 24-hour fast. How many of you did what your pastor asked? I did it. 24 hours, I gave myself to the Lord and took myself away from food. Do you realize how hard it is to not think about food? Jesus, help all the hungry children. No, I'm serious. Like, I could think of nothing but food. It's ridiculous. I'm like, shut up, shut up, shut up. I'm telling my, my flesh, shut up. And yet I still desired it. However, he asked us to let God speak to us about anything that might be hidden in our lives. And I'm grateful for a pastor. Hear me out. I am grateful for a pastor that will hold us to accountability and put us in a place that we have to dig in. He doesn't always preach what you want to hear. He doesn't always preach, I'm just going to be real with you, what brings the people into the church. Because when you talk on sin, when you talk on repentance, when you talk on money, prosperity, and hell, 
it's not really good for attendance. I'm going to be real. But the church needs to hear repentance. So I'm going to keep giving you a little bit more truth today, like he gives you and delivers every week, all right? You just remember, you said you love me. That's all I got to say. All right, we're going to start with the problem. And then we're going to talk about the answer. Sin. Three-letter word. S-I-N. Such a tiny, tiny word makes such a big problem in the church. Now, keep in mind, I'm not talking to the world today. I'm talking to the church. When we come into this house, this is so that we can teach, we can build you up, we can teach you, edify you, encourage you, shake you up, clean you up, and then ship you out. That's the job here. Someone lost a water bottle. Wait a minute. Can we go back and give that back to that little handsome boy back there? <laughs> All right. So when we do that, it is sin is an action, a feeling, or acting on a thought that goes against God's standard. Not man's standard. Not the world's standard. God's standard. How many of you know that what we live in today is not the standard? Where we, what we hear on the television is not the standard. What we hear in the music that the world is listening to is not the standard. Watching soap operas, not the standard. Watching reality TV from Georgia, the housewives of, not, not God's standard. Now I'm going to talk right up your alley today. Because I'm going to tell you half of the stuff you watch on your television, the Lord would not be present in that room with you when you watched it. Dad asked us a question a couple weeks ago. What would I do if Jesus were here? And I wrote that in my book and I started writing things down on there. Would I talk like I talk? Would I watch what I watch? Would I wear what I wear if Jesus were here with me? It's a big question, big question. Sin is caused to separate you from God, right? Let's go back. Now, keep in mind, I get there's some of you that have heard this for 25 years, but there might be somebody here today that's only been saved for 25 minutes. There might be somebody here today that's only been saved for 25 days. So I'm going to have to ask that the more mature ones bear with me while I give out a little bit of milk. Sin separates us from Christ. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, what did they do? They walked with the Lord. They were right there with him. They communed with him. They had fellowship. They talked with him. They walked with him. They loved him. He loved them back. And then man sinned and took a bite of that little apple, right? Changed history. What happened? They were no longer in the garden. They were outside of the garden. What was the garden? The garden represented fellowship. This pure, beautiful place that man could talk and walk with God. Learn from him. Be nurtured by him. Be taught by him. And with one sin, it was gone. So when we sin, it causes separation between God and you. Amen? Do you believe that? All right. Let's go, I'm going to prove that to you. Let's go to Isaiah, the 59th chapter, verse 1 and 2. If you don't have a Bible today with you, that's okay. You can read it on the screen. i got to be honest with you, I'm kind of old school. I, it's hard to read the Bible on an iPhone, an iPad, an iMod, whatever they are. I just need the Bible. The written word of God on paper. 
It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your, your iniquities or sin have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Now, I heard your, your, and you in that scripture more than I heard anything else. This scripture proves ownership, ownership of your sin. So, play along with me today. I want you to say, hmm, you ready? My sin separates me from God. All right, you remember that. We're going to need that later too. Did it say that God separated from you? Did it say he hid himself? We hid his face from us. Our sin hid him from us. He never left. He never left me. He never stopped loving me. He never stopped believing in me. My fellowship with him changed. Ownership. Ownership. Your sin is what you've committed and it broke your fellowship with him. Let's go to 1 John 5.10. 1 John 5.10. 5 through 10. It says, this then is the message. Now keep in mind, the scriptures before um, John was writing to the church, but he talks here from 5 through 10 about fellowship with Christ. It says, This then is the message which ye have heard of him, meaning Jesus, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness or sin, that's what darkness means there, we lie and do not know truth. But if we walk in the light and he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess, here's the answer, I told you it was coming. If we confess our sins, that word confess means acknowledge. If we acknowledge, take a little bit of ownership of that sin, see that it was our fault, see that it wasn't anyone else. If we acknowledge our sins, he is faithful, faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we see that sin is the problem but if we confess it and turn to the Lord, he's the answer, correct? Hmm. It says, if we confess. Remember, there's all these conditions in the Bible. And the word but and if are used very frequent. Let's go to Romans, the third chapter, the 23rd verse. And I know I'm going to make you turn a lot of scriptures today, but I feel it's really necessary to lay a really good foundation so that you don't think I'm just up here busting my chops. I'm not. This is all found in the word of God and this lines up with what he's saying. We don't get up here to just do lip service. 
This is truly to teach and equip you so you'll understand the word of God. 323, it says, for all have sinned. Does that mean I have sinned? Nicole has sinned. Does that mean Stephen Dreamer, you've sinned? Mom, Randy, all, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I've come short. Just because I'm up here preaching to you doesn't mean that I've got it all together. It means I'm working it out. Amen? Being justified freely by his grace. What's this mean? He went to the cross and he already took care of it. By his grace. Thank you, Jesus. His ability to do for me what I could not do for myself. That's what that means. In, through the redemption that is Christ Jesus, through the cross, whom God hath set forth, well, I'll just stop there. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. So we see that all of us have sinned, but God made a way to restore us by sending Jesus to the cross, right? Well, then it just sounds easy. Then we should be restored, right? Yeah. When God calls us, when Jesus started preaching the gospel in Matthew 4, 17, and began to call out for everyone to repent. See, when you got saved... You were drawn unto Christ and you repented of that sin, right? And God immediately cleansed you and made you clean. But remember that bicycle that mom was talking about? How God doesn't give you a bicycle if you're a toddler and you need a tricycle? There's a process of maturity. What happens is though Christ cleaned you up at that moment and purified your heart and washed all of your sin away... <laughs> You still have evil thoughts. You still have actions that are habitual behaviors that you've been doing for as long as it was that you were a sinner. Maybe you slept with every, every Tom that walked by. Or maybe you stole constantly. Or maybe you were just a liar. People think it's just a liar. Or maybe you were just a gossiper at work. Maybe you were just a pot stirrer. You love to stir division at your workplace. And get everybody riled. Maybe that's who you were. But the problem is, is that who you were isn't completely transformed yet. It's just the beginning of your transformation. So now, the walk of Christianity begins. This is where the most of us are. When Christ calls us to repent, it means to change your mindset. Change your mind, which has been set a certain way. Your way's right. It's always right, right? Oh. But when you lived as the world, you're supposed to do what feels right. You're supposed to embrace your feelings. If it makes you feel good, it's right. You have to change that process. The only way that happens is when you repent and you turn from your way of thinking and you look towards God's standard about what is going on and start living that life of repentance. Every time you make the mistake, you have a godly sorrow that looks at what you've done. You see, oh my gosh, there was no God in that at all. That's not what God would have done. And you change the way you think. It starts with the thinker. 
then your actions and your habits begin to change. And then people begin to notice your change. You see? So repentance is something that you do. It's something that grows in your life. But the fruit of repentance is in your actions and your deed. So you can't say, I've repented of this and go back and go back and go back and go back. And one day you're not cussing and the next day you're cussing again. One day you're not lying and the next day you're lying again. That's not the way it works. God causes us to this place of repentance that we will change and turn from our way. Literally turn. Okay? So, let's talk about two kings who got appointed. Both of these kings did great things. But both of these kings made mistakes. Both of them repented. But one gave true repentance and one gave a false repentance. We're going to talk about that because I want to make sure that today you understand when you repent, what it looks like. So let's go to 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter. And this is about King Saul. Now, in the Old Testament, you and I couldn't talk to God like we can now. Just like Brother Dave was saying in the offering. There was a place in the temple, and you had to go and get this big information from the Lord, and then you got to go back and tell the people what God said. So Saul was king, and Samuel was the prophet that would go talk to God and then come back to King Saul and say, this is what the Lord said. So in the 15th chapter, in the third verse, it says, this is Samuel talking to Saul. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. And spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox, sheep, camel, and I won't even say it because I don't feel it's appropriate. Donkey. Okay, let's move on down to the ninth chap, the ninth verse. I'm going to save this for time's sake. But Saul and the people spared a gag. They went to battle, but Saul and the people spared a gag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. Then came a word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried to the Lord all night. So the Lord tells Samuel, Saul's not done what I told him to do. So Saul, Samuel says, I better go talk to Saul. Go down to the 13th verse. It said, And Samuel came to Saul and said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. He was kind of proud of himself. He's like, hey, Samuel, I got it done. I did what the Lord said to do. And Samuel said, what meaneth this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them back from the Amalekites. 
for the people spared the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. And Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And Saul said, Stay on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little and in thine sight, wast thou, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Wherefore thou didst not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst even in thy evil in thy sight of the Lord. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed, I have the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me. And I brought a gag and the king of Amalek. And have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil of the sheep and the oxen. The chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, it's better to obey than it is to sacrifice and to hearken to the fat of rams. For rebellion is a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Oh, Saul said unto Samuel, I've sinned, I've sinned. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over all of Israel. Saul wasn't repentant. Saul wasn't repentant one bit. Saul didn't take responsibility for his action once until he knew what the Lord was going to do to him. Then it was, oh, I'm all sorry now. I'm sorry now because I still want to be king, still want to be king. Now will you forgive me? It was the people's fault. How many, how many of you in here know a blame shifter? Oh, listen, I got one in my house. Trust me. He knows who he is. I look right at him and say, oh, no, no, no. You're going to own it. The other day I told Link Quentin, this isn't the blame shifter, but it was this day. He was getting his all hair ready. You know, it takes him a 15 to 20 minute process to get ready now. It used to take five minutes. Now he's 12. <clears throat> takes a little bit longer. He goes in there. He's got his hair all done. Mom, I need you to come spray my hair. So I'd come in. I said, well, let me go to the restroom first. You go out, pick up your laundry in your room, pick up the laundry around the rest of the house, and then I'll do your hair. <sighs> okay. I shut the bathroom door. I hear him out on the piano bench. I said, you are not moving. You are standing there with your feet moving, thinking I'm thinking you're going to collect the laundry. Go get that laundry picked up. That's exactly what I said to him. So then I didn't hear anything. Well, when I was done going to the restroom, I opened up the door. I said, okay, I'm ready to do your hair. He was still in the same spot. I stuck my head in the bedroom. There was that laundry on the floor. So I brought him in the bathroom. I started doing his hair. I said, you know, Quentin, there was a story about two kings. 
One was Saul. He wasn't repentant at all. Mom, you didn't give me enough time to do my laundry. I knew that it wouldn't take you long to go to the restroom, and I wouldn't have time to go all the way around. I said, oh, no, 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 no. This isn't about how much time I gave you, you little blame shifter. Listen to me. This is you. You were told to do something. You didn't do it. And now you're trying to tell me that it was my fault that I didn't give you enough time. I said, we're going to have to read the story. of. I know the story of King Saul, Mom. I know. I said, well, then you would think you would start changing your action if you knew. He said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just didn't want to do it. I wanted to play that FIFA soccer game. So I got a David, but I had a Saul in the beginning of the morning. But listen, they blame shift. They make excuses. Then he actually tried to prove to the prophet that he did right. Oh, no, I did it right. I did it right. Now you're arguing with the voice of God that you did it right. How many of you have found your place when it comes to God bringing that gentle nudge to you about repentance? But God, I, I, I didn't mean it like that. I didn't mean it like that, but that's how it was taken. That's how it was taken. Don't you get it? If it was taken incorrectly, then you have to adjust. You're the problem, not the one who's taking it. It's your delivery. There has to become this ownership in who we are. Nothing drives me crazier than someone who says, you know, Peggy, I'm... I just want to tell you, you know, last weekend when we were together and we were shopping and we were out and, you know, you, we were talking and I just want you to know that I'm really sorry for the way you took that. Was that an apology? You're apologizing for her response to you. That's not sorry. Uh, Sister Sharon, I'm really sorry that you couldn't understand what I meant. Is that, is that what we've come to? Because that's not ownership in anything you're sorry for. The truth would be, Steve, I'm sorry that I hurt you. My intentions were not to hurt your heart or to make you think, I'm so sorry. If my actions harmed you, will you forgive me? That's forgiveness. That's a sorry. It's not, it's not sorry that you felt that way because I really didn't mean it. it. I'm sorry. That just doesn't get it. You're not King Saul. That's not repentant. That doesn't tell somebody that you're sorry when you're sorry for the way they responded to your action. Take ownership of your iniquity. Take ownership of what you've done. Confess it. Say it. And turn from your way and learn. That's repentance. How would you feel if the Lord said about you, this scripture kills me, right? Ooh. It, this was then the word of the Lord unto Samuel saying, this was God speaking to Samuel, it repenteth me that I have set Nicole up to have authority for she has turned her back from God. The fear of the Lord would scare me to death. Saul wasn't afraid, nor repentant, nor repentant. Let's go to look at a king that was. This is 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter. 
And I'm showing you this because it is so important that you understand that you're not the first one to go through this. You're not going to be the last. There were kings before us that we get to read stories about. Amen? I don't know that they had stories to read. The 11th chapter, 2 Samuel, and this is about King David, the next king, okay? Right following Sam, Saul is David. Now, Nathan is David's prophet, okay? It says, and it came to pass in an evening tide, this is the second verse, I'm sorry, and it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, mm, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent a messengers and took her. And she came into him and lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness. And then she returned into her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. Okay, now if there was level of sin, which you and I know there's not, going into battle and bringing back sheep and oxen that the Lord told you not to, and you brought back the best ones, or sleeping with a woman that has a husband, then she gets pregnant and you have her husband killed in battle. That's the longer on in the story. And because of time's sake, we're not going to read it. But First and Second Samuel are the best books of the Bible, I just got to tell you. They're great. You need to go read them. It's like a drama. I'm just telling you straight up. The life of these kings was crazy. But which one would look like it was worse? It looks like it is, although we know in the Bible that according to James 4, 10, that it doesn't matter. And if you sinned in anything, you sinned in it all. It Actually, that's not 4, 10. It's a different verse. You sinned in it all. It doesn't matter. You've done one of them. You've done it all. You've lied. You're the same as an adulterer. You've cussed. You've done the same thing. It doesn't matter. Okay? So don't think. Don't get all holy and think, well, I have never done that, so I'm okay. That's not the way it works. Okay? But let's go on because in the 12th chapter... I want to read to you what happens. It says, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him, and he said, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children, and it did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared, and he spared to take of his own flock and took, and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was to come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against this man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, and the man hath done this thing, surely he thing shall surely die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity and Nathan said to David thou art this man thus saith the Lord God of Israel I anointed thee king over Israel and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul the one that God repenteth over and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives unto thy bosom and gave thee the house of Israel and Judah and if that had been too little I would have moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore thou hast despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight. 
Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of his children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and thou hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against thee and out of thine house. I will take thy wives before thine own eyes and I will give them to thy neighbor and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the sun. For thou didst it secretly, but I would not do this thing before all of Israel and before the sun. Listen to this. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Now watch this response of God. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also has put away thy sin, and thou shalt not die. One simple word I believe Nathan was waiting on. I. I have failed the Lord. I, complete ownership in that sentence, complete ownership from David that said, I've sinned against the Lord. Do you notice that he didn't speak about all the other things? He didn't say first out of his mouth, I've sinned against the nation. I've let everybody down. He didn't say that. I sinned against you, Lord. Your standard, I didn't live up to. And I'm sorry. Let's go to Psalms 51 because David writes a song about it. And it's, it's beautiful. And I just want to read a little bit of it because I want, and you can go back and read it all. But this was the prayer. <laughs> this was his repentance prayer after Nathan had come to him. It says, Psalm 51, verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before thee. Against thee and only thee, I have sinned. Do you see the continuity here? We've been taught, you didn't do nothing wrong. It's just, you know, it can't be expected that one man is with one woman for the rest of his life. I'm just saying, you, I hear that. You turn the television on and you hear people talking on these talk shows. Well, that was ridiculous for her to believe that he was going to be monogamous anyways. What are you reading? Because that's not God's standard. It is his standard that you're with one woman for the rest of your life and one man for the rest of your life. And you make it work. And those of you that aren't married that want to get married, work. Four-letter word, W-O-R-K, work. That's what marriage is. Work that grows your faith. It's not an easy road. It's hard work. And yes, there's times I don't want to live with the same person, but you have to. <laughs> Ushers, help me out here. Let's go to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, the 21st verse. So we know how we're supposed to repent. And we know how we're not supposed to repent, correct? 
I want to be sure that I'm laying this out clearly so there are no questions. Ephesians 4.21. It says, And if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed, actually means to be renovated. You ever done a renovation on your house? You're sick of the way that house looks. It's time to get some new paint on the walls, put some new furniture in. Why? It looks better and it makes you feel good, don't it? Renovate that mind in the spirit of your mind and that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now that's a whole nother step above repentance. Living a life of holiness. Woo. I don't know, that might be too high of a mark. I don't know if I can meet that. You know, it's one thing to sit in church and talk about repentance, you know, when I know I've done wrong, but there's just certain things that man can't clean up. You know, you're, you're going to talk about somebody every once in a while. You're going to make mistakes, and that's just the way it's going to be. You've already decided not to be holy. You've already decided that you only want to repent when it's convenient for you. Listen, there's a lot of things that I think Jesus wanted to do that he didn't. He was the only one of us that made it through this life without a spot. He didn't come and go through this life as the son of God. He came and went through this life as the son of man who listened to God. That's you and me. He showed us that this can be done. And if we're already accepting this is where God was, so I'm going to be here, then you've already said, I, I'm, let me get you a pair of knee pads because you're going to need them. Oh, God. Regularly, this is going to be you. But see, there comes a point that this repentance place changes. And when you do what these next scriptures are going to show you, I've talked to you about your mind. And it says here that you have to renew. You've got to take out some of the walls that you think are right in your mind. You've got to take out some of the thinking that you believe you've been created. And this is just how I am. This is not how you are. God's calling you to come out of who you are and turn into what he's called you to be. But it's going to take some work. Renovation isn't cheap. Renovation isn't quick. Unless you've got 13 contractors working on labor union rate all 24 hours. You wonder why schools get done in three months? I'll tell you why. Labor. Union. And they work 24 hours around the clock. You want to work 24 hours around the clock on your soul, on your mind? You might get there faster than the rest of us, but I need at least eight hours of sleep. Let's go to Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's going to get easier, I promise you. Well, maybe not. I forgot the next part coming up. 
<laughs> I'm just giving you guys a hard time. It's really not that bad. 12, 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Did you hear what he just said? That holy part up there? That holy that's only reserved for the priest and those people with the belt around their waist, those holy ones? Which is your reasonable service? Hmm. Must be able to obtain if it's reasonable. <laughs> and be not conformed. This word, mm, this warm, this word conform says don't look like. And don't look like the world, but be ye transformed, changed, take on a metamorphosis. Let, let's just talk about this. How many of you have seen the little willy worms, right? Those little caterpillars that you, I try to run around them in the fall when they're on the road because I feel bad for killing them because I like butterflies and I know that's what they're going to turn into. But these, these little caterpillars, they go into this cocoon. This is you and I. See, when God causes us to change, we go into this cocoon and everything we need is inside this cocoon. Everything we need to change is already in you. It's already inside of you because the Holy Spirit's guiding you and leading you and teaching you. And before you know it, you start getting itchy inside that cocoon. And you're like, it's time. It's time to get out of here. I got to spread my wings and fly. And before you know it, you're no longer that little fuzzy caterpillar that has the prickly thing sticking out of him for protection because he's got to protect himself because he doesn't want to die early before his time, before he gets to fly with his butters, right? He breaks out and all of a sudden he becomes this beautiful butterfly. But he takes on another metamorphosis and another metamorphosis, and another metamorphosis. You and I are called to be changers. Do you understand that? Change. Y'all would act like I just said a curse word in church. Change is not a curse word in church. Change is what we're called to. Change is what God's saying, come, it's time to change. You've got to renovate who you think you are into what I think you are. But in order to do that, you've got to allow the process of repentance to take its place. Change the way you think about certain things and start thinking the way God thinks. It says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. First Peter, the first chapter, 13 through 16. Bear with me, we're coming to an end, I promise. It says, wherefore, gird up thy loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end. This means for God's return. For the grace that is to be brought to you unto the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust of your ignorance. Not fashioning, meaning not conforming to who you used to be. But as he which hath called you is holy, so ye be, be ye holy in all manner, watch this, of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. Girl in the school the other day where my kids goes, 
I brought her to church, and she was in the back seat. Lexi and I were in the front seat. And she said, Lexi, she said, I got a question for you. She said, do the kids just stop cussing when you walk in the room? Or do you have to tell them to stop cussing? And Lexi said, well, I used to have to start. I used to have to go in and tell them, please, don't cuss around me. She said, but now I just have to sit down at the table. And they stop. She said, did they ever make fun of you for that? She said, because they're calling me the holy child. Would it be that at your workplace, in your neighbor's home, in your children's school, that they would call you the holy child? Would it be that they would see so something different about you to say, oh, here comes the holy one? Yeah, that's me. I'm trying. I'm striving. I'm trying to walk where God wants me to walk. I'm trying to say what's right. I'm trying to become all things to all men so that it can't be misinterpreted. Listen, I'm not standing here because I got it worked out. Trust me, if I told you what happened this weekend, I do not have it worked out. But what I'm telling you is that it's time that you and I stop living a double standard. It's time that you and I start putting some feet to what we're talking about. It's time. Steve Yant told me that. He said, let me tell you something. The best thing you could ever tell a girl who's dating a boy is don't listen to what he's saying. Start watching where he's walking. Because if he isn't walking what he's saying, he don't mean none of it. We're not called to live a double standard. We're called to live God's standard. We're it's time. I'm just going to say it right out. It's time that some of you stop cussing. Do you understand that filthy communication out of your mouth is not good? And I'm just going to say this. When I see you post this stuff on Facebook, it makes me sick. Please, please, at least hide who you are. Please, deal with this in the secretness of the secret place with the Lord. But don't come to church, act like you're all this Christian, sit here, and then be cussing, drinking, sleeping with somebody, and bringing all of us shame. Because you make the church look bad. Get in or get out. It's time to set a standard, and the standard's been set. Now, I'm telling you, it aggravates me when I go online and I see people that I really believed were born again, God-fearing people, living a substandard life, and putting it out there for everyone to believe. Please, don't wear your Only Believe Ministries badge when you're out there. Now, I'm preaching right down your lane, because I'm going to tell you, it's about time someone says that sin is wrong. Sin is wrong, and we've got to know it. Amen? Dad put a quote on my, we were upstairs, and we were praying this week in this, in this pastor's fast, and he put a quote out here, and this is what it said. It was from Smith Wiggleworth. It said, hmm. When the saints cease to seek after holiness, purity, and righteousness, and truth, when they cease to pray and stop reading the word, it gives way to carnal appetites, and then the devil comes. Some of us have been playing around with carnal appetites too much. Let me tell you something. God spoke directly to me. There's a man in here that's going. He works in a factory. You are flirting with sin. 
I don't know who you are or what you are, but God's calling it out. He told me last night as I'm writing this message, this is literally, you ready, what I wrote. It said, some of you are so close to the fire that people wouldn't even know if you were in it or not. It's time to be holy and sanctified for the Lord. It's time to stop cussing, acting like a heathen, flirting at work with women that aren't your wife. Having locker room talk that would make Jesus blush. You know what? Leave sex in your bedroom, could you? Sex isn't out there for everyone to talk about. Like it's this thing that you get to expose. Can I just be real? How many times you get it, how many times you don't. How it is, what it is. Shh. Keep it in private. Don't you understand when you expose something so intimate in private, you make it cheap. Quit cheapening the marriage bed. Leave it beautiful and undefiled so that men aren't making fun of it and making it like a dime. It's not a dime, it's beautiful. I love you. I love you. And I want to go to heaven with you. But I'm telling you, if I had three jars sitting up here right now, one with pond water that I had dug out from over there, one with muddy water that I just picked up out of a mud puddle on my way, and a mason jar full of clear water, which one do you believe the Lord would want to pour in today? Which one would he be seen in? If he is light, he is pure, he doesn't have any darkness and any sin in him, which one would he pour into? If he poured into the lake water, would he make a difference? Would anyone see him through that lake water? How about the muddy pond water? Would anybody be able to see his clearness, his purity, his love, his truth? But what about the mason jar that's clear? What about the little teenage girl that was in the back of our car? Would God pour into her? Listen to me, church. God is calling you to a place of holiness, sanctification. There's repentance when you get saved. And there's this continual life of repentance and obedience, which leads to sanctifying yourself sanctify, sanctify, sanctify so that you can be set apart for your maker's work. And then there's holiness. How many of you would say today that we've got to clean up our act? Guys, you can come on up. We're going to pray. I have prepared communion for all of us today. I haven't literally prepared it. I don't mean that. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. It's going to be my last text to you today. Other than our communion scriptures. It says, And have ye forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as my children? My son, despise not thy chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Chastening is not a bad thing. As a parent, when I chastened my children, I don't chasten them and say, Quentin Waters, I've told you. Blah, 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 blah. Chastening means to nurture, train up, 
teach. We've given repentance the wrong name. We've given repentance this evil thought pattern, but it's not. It's this beautiful nurturing of the Lord. He says, I love you. See, I can stand up here and tell you to stop doing all these things you're doing because it's not the first time you've been told. Does God get a little sterner after you don't listen the first time? Yeah. Does a parent? Yes. See, when you come into the family, you become sons and daughters of the Most High. So of course he's going to teach you. Of course he's going to love you into this place of grace and mercy and try to get you to change on your own. Don't you see, when pastor asked us to go back and look at our own lives, he was asking us to judge ourselves. We as Christians are called to judge ourselves. That's what communion's about. In the 11th chapter of Corinthians, it, it talks about communion and how we take it and why. And here's what it says. It says, but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he eateth and drinketh for unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation unto himself. That means if you're in sin and you take this communion today, then you bring damnation to yourself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastised, chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. See, God's trying to save you. He's trying to reach out and give you grace and mercy. All you have to do is just confess it and say, Lord, I realize that my ways are not right. I got to choose your way. James 4.10 says that submit, submit your ways to him and he'll give you help. He'll become everything you need. So you don't have to do it alone. It's not like you got to turn into this perfect person overnight. Every time you repent and turn from your way, don't worry. He digs deeper and finds something else. I'm not going to lie to you. When I did that 24-hour fasting, he found something. It brought this message. There's this godly sorrow that comes when you know you've done something wrong. It's God just calling you back home. Think of me. Come on, we can do this together. That's who God is. He only brings judgment when you don't do it yourself. And it'd be better for us to be judged here now than it would be at the end of time. Revelation 3.3 says, Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard of the gospel. Hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief in the night. Thou shalt not know what hour I shall come. 
We've got to be ready with our lamps full and our wicks trimmed. So today, we're going to take this communion. And maybe there's some of you here today. I should say this. If you're not saved, do not take communion today. But come down front and we will say a repentance prayer with you today. That you can come into the family of God and you can receive Christ as your personal Savior and start the journey that we're on. We're not perfect. Church is for broken people. That's where we are. But God will receive you into the kingdom just like he received me, just like he received Paul, the chiefest of sinners. Killed Christians for what they believed in and then turned into one and wrote half of the Bible. <laughs> what an amazing story. Maybe you're that chief sinner out there today. It's okay. God's saying there's room for you too. Church, this message was really for you so that we would clean up our act. Let's do it together today. Let's pray over communion today. And let's really examine our heart and what God would be saying for us. Because I don't want to be caught not ready. Father, we just come before you today, and God, we ask that you would still our minds. Just shh. Quiet my mind and still my heart, God. As we reflect, God, in this moment of communion today. Father, we reflect upon the cross. God, we ask that you would draw close to us as we would draw close to you. Father, that sin would be removed from us today. God, and that our fellowship would be restored. God, that if there be anything hidden inside of us, God, that you would reveal it. Help me, Lord, to receive this communion today. God, in reverence and with godly fear. Blessed as we take today. Father, it says, we remember how you were betrayed. And you took this piece of bread. You took this piece of bread and you broke it. You gave it to your disciples and you said, eat this in remembrance of me. Let us eat together today as we remember. He said, we also remember how you took the cup and told them, this is the covenant in my blood do this in remembrance of me. Let us drink. Lord, we remember. We remember, God. And we will hold fast until you come again. Until you come again. Keep our hearts pure, God. Father, if our ears have become dulled to your voice, God, let this day be a renewal. Let this day be a renovation period of time, God, that we would be sensitive to hear your Holy Spirit when we've done wrong. God, that we wouldn't turn away from that voice. God, we would run to it quickly, as David did. God, that we would take full ownership and turn from our way 
and submit to you. In Jesus' name.